I'm glad to be with you today. My name is uh, Colby Mache, and I am uh, one of the pastors at Alberta Baptist Church. I actually co-pastor with my mentor and friend, Keith Pugh, and uh, been there for almost 12 years, which is crazy. But uh, yeah, been wanting to be here forever and had to like beg Troy to let me. So I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I'm glad. Uh, very thankful for uh, Troy Nicholson, and I, I hope that you are. He's been a dear friend of mine ever since he got into town, and uh, almost 10 years. And uh, he, he is someone that I, I respect deeply, and he is worthy of honor. And, uh, and so I, I say that to you, you're blessed. You're blessed to have him as one of your shepherds. And, uh, and I'm blessed to have him as one of my friends. But Enough about me and Troy. We ain't got time for this. Uh, we got we to talk about James. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We're, we're going to walk through, I'm going to read the verses that you guys did last week and just make a couple of comments on our way to our main text that we'll be feasting on today. And it's going to be verses 7 through 10. But, uh, but read along with me there, or don't read along, follow along as I read. James chapter 4, verse 1. The word of the Lord says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. I am a husband of almost 13 years. I am a daddy of uh, five children, one with the Lord, four at home. And uh, we are a family that likes to get out and do things. And we, we have a, a swagger wagon. Uh, we, we have a good old minivan. And, and so when we can, we try to get out and you know, burn up the highway. And if you, if you have children... Uh, you know that this text is super relevant for you because you get on the road in that minivan, everybody's happy when they get in. You pull out the driveway and everybody's fighting and quarreling. Okay, so like we're all upset. Passions are at war. They're wanting and they can't have. They want to listen. One wants to listen to Greatest Showman. The other one wants to listen to something else. And you end up fighting over what you listen to uh, before you even get out of Tuscaloosa. That, that's, how, that's how we are. So this is a very relevant passage for moms and dads, this is a very relevant passage for husbands and wives who have probably found themselves quarreling at some point and having passions at war within you from time to time and making poor decisions desires that are in you. Uh, imagine all of us are there and no one can throw a stone, okay? That's, that's kind of where we are. When it comes to church life, let's be honest, this is an issue. It shouldn't be with God's people, but it is. An issue. That's why James is having to address it. He's saying even people who were made in the image of God, even people who have come into the grace of God and under the grace of God and are bathed in it, people who know Jesus, even people who walk with Christ still get in little fights in the flesh. And there's fighting and there's quarreling, there's division, there's dysfunction, there's all kinds of mess. And so it's in that that James is writing to us. He keeps going and he says, You ask and you don't, re and you ask, 
Uh, that's not what it says at all. Jeez Louise. You do not have because you do not ask, which is my problem half the time. Okay, so maybe I can identify with another brother or sister in here. We don't have, sometimes because we don't even ask the Lord. That's how we roll. Some of us also are like this. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James says, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I pray there's no one in the house today that your desire is, man, I want to be against the Lord today. I want to be against the Lord today. That's that's my goal. When I leave this place, I want to be an enemy. That's, That's probably not where you are. That's probably not where you are. But there are people in this room that you'll leave this place with enemies. And sometimes you are an enemy of someone else. And the Lord does not desire that in his kingdom. The good news for us is, and you had this verse spoken over you last week. Verse 6. But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. God gives more grace. Grace deeper still than even our fights and our quarrels and our junk, our dysfunction, our division, our destructive tendencies. God is, grace is deeper still. And so it's in this that James is going to write and the Lord's going to speak to us. He's going to speak to a people who might find themselves today with broken relationships, with dysfunction, division, and destructive tendencies in the relationships in your life. And so it's going to be my prayer that the Lord would just speak His grace and His power over you today and over me. That you would know that there's freedom to be here and not have to forget all the junk in your life. Not try to drown it out. Not try to get away from it. I, I, I can't stand that. When I, I, I did youth ministry for eight years and there would always be that dude at, at the at youth conferences that would play his guitar and while he's playing his doing his little deal he's like okay guys I want you just to forget all the junk in your life forget about your sin forget about those broken relationships forget about all that that is destroying you and and just think about Jesus I want you to know that Jesus and his word is going to speak into our life to say and say bring all of it all your junk to him. Come to him. Don't hide it. Come. Ain't none of you good enough in this room to hide your junk from the Lord. So let's lay it before him today as we study this passage in James. James don't play. He brings it and he's going to bring it today as we look at James chapter 4 verse 7 through 10. And so now we're going to read the word that we have before us today. James chapter 4 verse through 10 here it is submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to god and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded be wretched and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. 
Let's pray. Father, I I ask that you would give us in this room eyes to see and ears to hear your word of grace today. That we could hear your gospel today and see it. That we would transform as your gospel is changing us. God, may you heal what is broken. May you bring life where there's death. May you reconcile those that are far away. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you are a note taker, and I would encourage you to, I think Andy and I have, we, we have some slides uh, for, you, for you this morning. And so to kind of give you an overhead of where we're going today, I think we got it on there. Andy, you got it. Uh, in the midst of our dysfunctional, divisive, and destructive relational tendencies, we must hear the gospel calling us to, number one, submit to the God of grace. Submit to the God of grace. In, in your life, you may have had the word submission be kind of like a, a, a bad word in your house. It might be the S word, you know, submission. One that you were scared about, one that you fear, one that you've heard distorted, even by Bible preachers. But I want you to know that when we see submission in relation to God, this is our life. This is life for us. This is about us humbling ourselves underneath the mighty hand of God. Submitting to the Lord is freedom and it's life. And as we submit to the Lord, that's how we're going to submit in all the other relationships in our life. That's how we have the very attitude of Jesus when it comes to relationships. Philippians chapter 2 describes relationships that ought, what they ought to look like in the Christian life in verse 3 and 4. Let no rivalry or empty deceit be what your relationships look like. Don't do anything out of rivalry or deceit. Nothing. But instead do what? Count others as more significant than yourself. Look not only to your own interest but also to the interest of others. Having the very attitude of Christ Jesus, who did that perfectly for us. And so when we come to the relationships in our life, we have to understand that for us to rightly walk in them, for us to rightly relate to our spouse, our kids, uh, our church body, those outside, we must rightly submit to the God of grace. And so we have James who tells us to submit ourselves, therefore, to God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand. Well, how do we do that? Well, James actually tells us. He's going to walk us through some steps. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And the first thing he says is this. He says, resist the devil. And so I'm going to be straight up Baptist with you, okay? I've already dropped three Ds, now I'm going to drop three Rs. That's how we roll, okay? And the R's are going to look like this. We're going to resist, we're going to repent, and we're going to replace. Resist, repent, and replace. And so the first thing we need to resist, he he says resist the devil and he will flee from you. To walk into this, right when I first became a believer, I, I was in college, 
And I, I came into faith at the tail end of an obsession that the church was having with demons and with the devil. And so like every book, like you'd go to whatever the bookstore, I guess we, all we had was Books A Million uh, at the time. No offense, Books A Million, it's cool. Uh, now we just have a lot more places to roll. But, but you would go in and like the, the Christian life section was just filled you know, with books on the devil and on demons. And I would say it seemed like the church had about a 10-year obsession uh, with the devil and maybe gave him a little more cred than he ought to get. Okay, this isn't like an equal thing, like he's, he's evil and God's good, like as if it's just like dualism here. It's not like that. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He, he ain't even close to our, what our God's like. Okay, but he is awful. And we need to be aware of him. Let's just not put him on a pedestal he don't deserve. And what James tells us to do is this. He goes, look, resist the devil. If you do, he'll flee from you. I don't know how many of you have kids that are in elementary or junior high at this uh, moment, but I, I, I do have kids in elementary school. And bullying is an issue. Like, I, I didn't think it was, I didn't remember it being, but it is an issue. And I'm telling you, some young girls, woo! Man, they get crazy. They get crazy. You're about passions at war within them. Them little second grade girls ain't no joke. And there's some bullying that takes place. And, and, and what I've noticed is, uh, is this, is that we'll give pep talks and, you know, we'll kind of talk about, hey, you know, you need to just resist. You need to stand up for yourself. You need to do this. You know, we, we give kind of the, the talks and, you know, show grace, do all, do all these things. But, like, the Bible is giving us a bully who, if we stand up, if we resist him, he will flee. Like he will, like it's written in God's word. If you resist the devil, he will flee. Imagine the confidence we should have as God's people. Resist him and he'll flee from you. Uh, consider who he is. I, I said that we shouldn't put him on a pedestal, but let's, let's also not forget about the power that he does have. The devil is a deceiver. He's the father of lies. He loves to deceive God's people. And I think the primary place he does that in Scripture that we see is this. is He likes for us to think of God, not, not neglect to think of God. I think he wants us to think of God as almighty but not good. He wants us to think that God is great but he's not good. Or he wants us to think that he's good but he's not great. He wants to distort or deceive us. Like Think about in the garden. He tells them, yeah, didn't the almighty God have you here and place that tree? Didn't the almighty God do this and place these parameters to where he shows how great he is and how you've got to do what he says, but he's not good. He's taking goodness from you. He's keeping it from you. That's how it started in the garden, and that's how it continues to this day. And Satan loves to deceive us. He loves to lie to us, especially with like half-truths. Oh, he's great, but he's not good. If he was good, you would have a husband now. If he was good, then you would be able to have children, wouldn't you? If he was good, this would happen. Your dad wouldn't have left. If he was good, you wouldn't have cancer. 
That's how Satan rolls. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's also, the Bible says, a lion. He's like a lion. I told the group earlier at 9 o'clock, let's make sure we give him a lowercase l. Okay, there is a uppercase l lion. His name is Jesus. Okay, he's risen and he's coming back again. The lowercase l lion is one that we need to resist. His name is the devil. He's Satan. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So I told you earlier, let's not put him on a pedestal, but let's also not stick our hand in, head in the sand while he's prowling around. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want a liar to be impacting my home. I don't want a lion loose around my children and my wife. I don't want a lion seeking to destroy, to be active and at work at ABC, Alberta Baptist. And I don't want him to be alive and active here either. And so what we have to do is this, is not be fools to think that sticking our head in the sand is going to work. That's a good way to get destroyed. And that's a good way to bring great dysfunction, division, and destruction into your relationships, into your church, into your marriage, into your family. He is a liar and he is a lion. And he and the rest of the demonic body are active in this world. I'll read this, and we need to make sure we, we realize it. Ephesians 6, verse 11, we're told, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, that you may be able to resist against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So just know he's a liar, he's a lion, and he's active in this world. But we can resist him, we can stand up to him, and when we do, he'll flee. That's part of what submitting to the God of grace looks like, is resisting the devil. But it also looks like this, is drawing near to God. This is such a beautiful text. And this is for the Christian. If you're not a Christian in this room, understand the Lord's here, he's at work. He is currently here drawing those to himself. He's at work showing himself how beautiful he is and, and pulling you to him. He is drawn near to us, ultimately in the cross. And he came and he died and he rose from the grave, victorious over sin and death. He draws us. But as Christians, we're told to resist the devil and draw near to God. Turn to him to repent. Turn to God. I'll give you what I believe is a clear picture of this, and it's in a very uh, well-known passage, but it's in Luke 15, in the passage of the prodigals. And you remember the, the younger son who has some fights and quarrels, some dysfunctional, he has some divisive, he has some destructive relational tendencies. He takes all that is his, and he skips town. He goes and he spends it all on himself. He wastes 
his money. He wastes really his life. And there's a point when he is at his lowest that he rises up and he, he says, I've got to draw near to my father. I've got to go back to my father. If I go back to my father, I'll, be, I'll at least be taken care of. And I want you to know, this guy, he doesn't have the best theology. He doesn't. And his kind of poor theology is going to allow him to develop a story about himself that's not accurate. But it goes something like this. As he's on his way back to his father, as he's drawing near to his father, he starts rehearsing what he's going to say. And it goes something like this. I know I can't function as your son anymore. But let me at least be a servant in your house. I, I know I can't really be a son. I, I know you're my dad, but I can't really be a son. Just let me be a servant. And he starts taking that poor theology about who he is as the father's son and he takes it and he starts walking back to the house. He's making his way, rehearsing his speech and his father sees him from a long way off and he starts running towards him. When he draws near to the father, his father is drawing near to him and he embraces him right before he starts that poor speech. He squeezes him and he says, My boy is here, somebody throw us a party! Get the fattened calf. We're having steaks. We're having music. We're having everybody's coming. Invite the whole town. Invite the whole community. For I thought he was dead, but he's alive. We will party. But you remember, as this is happening, that everybody's partying. There's dancing. There's music. There's all kinds of fun things happening. Everybody's partying. Except for one the older brother. He's ticked off. He's frustrated. Now he's the one with the dysfunctional, divisive, and destructive relational tendencies. Alone and by himself. He's bitter, he's angry, and he's alone. And the father pursues them both. The father pursues them both. I, I want you to see this picture that as the son drew near to the father, the father drew near to the son. And there was only one reason for the boy to be dancing. There was only one reason for him to be partying. And it was the love and the grace of his dad. That's it. May we in the grace that is deeper still, may we in the grace that is more than even our fights and our quarrels and our dysfunction, may we submit to the Father. May we submit under His goodness. May we resist the devil. He'll flee from us. May we draw near to God. He'll draw near to us. And then thirdly, may we begin to, as we repent, replace that which is bringing all this junk in our lives. May we replace. We've got to change our actions and our attitude. We, we've got to take off that which is old. And we've got to put on that which is new. We've got to take off what was true by us, by our nature. Or in our nature. And we've got to put on what is true by grace. James says that we're to do this. He says, cleanse your hands you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James reminds us here that when we come to the Lord, that it's going to involve change in our lives. 
It's not just our hands, but it's our hearts that must change. True repentance always involves true change. Change in our hands and in our hearts. Change in our actions and in our attitudes. Changes in our behaviors and our mindsets. That grace changes us. We don't just repent, but we gotta, we got to change. We, we turn to the Lord and we, we change into who He's calling us to be. Repent and replace. We'll look at more of what that looks like in just a second. In light of this resisting, repenting, and replacing, James talks about what our attitude should look like, what our demeanor ought to be. And, and look at verse 9. It's, it's really shocking when you read it. It sounds morbid. It's not. Verse 9 says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. When, when I first read this, when I was getting prepared for this message, I, I thought, man, James is like a Debbie Downer. Like, I mean, can't we just say God gives more grace and then everybody be happy? What James is doing here is not telling us that the Christian life looks like gloom or it should be marked with some kind of joylessness. James is the guy that already said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face various trials of many kinds. He's not saying that we should be just sad, mournful people. There are a lot of Christians that act like that. A lot of them. Act like they're just sad all the time and they're not loved. But that's not true. That's not true. The more that we understand and we've, and we've taken off that which is old, that which was ours by nature, and we put on what is true about us by grace, we realize how incredibly loved and adored we are in the Lord. We realize how much mercy and grace there really is. But we also see what our sin is doing in our lives, and in the lives of those around us. And it is worthy, my friends, of mourning. If I allow the lion in my house to prowl around my sweet girls, I've got three daughters and a little boy at the house. When I let the lion free in my house and I realize that it's worth mourning, if I allow to get in the midst of my relationship with my, life, my wife. If my flesh rises up, my passions are at war and there has been fighting and there's quarreling and I have hurt her heart, there ought to be mourning. Same thing goes for the church. When we see dysfunction, division, and destruction that our own sin has brought into this place, we ought to mourn it. And that's what James is saying here. But I remind you, church, there is more grace. I'm going to give you a phrase that, that I believe is helpful. Um, I, the, I thought it was more helpful when I walked in the door than maybe it really is, but I, I hope it is. And so we're going we're gonna to show it on the screen here. So write it down and then consider this, okay? So this is in light of 
our relationship with others and sin that has come into those relationships. As we are repenting and as we are replacing, as we are doing this work of being made right with or in the Lord and with our brothers and sisters, here's what we must remember. Listen, let who I am, and when I say who I am, I'm talking about who you are by grace. I'm talking about who you are in the Lord. This is the thing that we, put, that we need to put on. We've got to take off who we used to be. We put on who we are in Christ. We need to let who I am in Christ not get lost in the junk that I've done. And I'm talking about done to my brother. Done that I've, uh, what I've done in my family. What I've brought into my household. Let who I am in Christ not get lost in the junk that I've done while at the same time letting what I am doing, what I'm bringing into my house, any division and destruction, any of that, I need to let, let what I'm doing not get in the way of who I am becoming in Christ, who He's making me to be. And the Lord is not making us to be fighters. He's not making us to be quarrelers. He's not making us to be people who bring dysfunction and division and destruction into our home and into our church, into our relationships. He's making us to become the very image of His Son. It's in light of that that we humble ourselves before the Lord, James tells us. So we've looked at this, that that in light of, let me go back here, in the midst of our dysfunctional, divisive, and destructive relational tendencies, we must hear the gospel calling us to submit to the God of grace. And then secondly, lead us to set in our lives new rhythms of grace. Set in our lives new rhythms of grace. And and we'll, we'll begin to end our time here. But I'll describe it this way is I've told you about my, my kiddos. And uh, we, we have two of them that, that got it. They're now in elementary school. We homeschooled for a couple of years. And, and this year got one in kindergarten and in second grade, Lucy and Annie Ruth. <clears throat> and the mornings are absolutely, like, they're, they're rough, okay, at our house. So I've got one that likes to wake up at the crack of dawn and one that would sleep until 12. But the one that gets up at the crack of dawn doesn't want to do anything that I want her to do to get ready. She just wants to do what she wants to do. The one that won't get up literally is the, it's just like a sloth. Okay. And so if you've got kids in elementary school, you know what I'm talking about here. Is that we wake up and we've had to build rhythms into our life. And so the way that we have to do this, we had to build rhythms. We have to, we have to wake up. We've got to get up. We have to get them dressed, we have to come eat, and then we got to send them out loved. And I want you to know that the rhythm that I believe the Lord is speaking over us today, in light of what we've seen in James and what we see really in other places in the New Testament, I'm going to use Romans 13 today, but in light of our tendencies, the Lord by His grace teaches us to build new rhythms. New ways of living and thinking. And so with that kind of getting up and getting ready uh, picture in your head, we're going to talk about how we can build a rhythm of grace in our life. And Romans 13 is a place that talks about this. And we'll, we'll move through this quickly. But I think this can be very helpful for you. And this is in the context of loving your neighbor. 
This is in the context of you don't owe anyone anything except to love them. All right, so that's not fighting and quarreling. That's not passions at war. That's something like Christ. It's not against him, it's in him that we love. Paul says this, verse 11, he says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. He says we got to wake up. It's time to get up. And Safe Haven Church, that's what he's saying over you today. He's saying it's time to wake up. Like the time is now. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. We don't have time for fighting and quarreling. We don't have time for dysfunction, division, and destruction to be in our relationships. We don't have time for that. we got to wake up understanding there's, a, there's one to resist, there's one to draw near to. we got to wake up. But not only wake up, man, we got to get dressed. we got to get dressed. I, this may not help you, I hope it does, but like when I think of the rhythms of the day and I think of the gospel being uh, applied to my life, I think about putting on clothes. That's the way that the writers talk about it. Like if you, and I'll I'll give you a few, we won't go there, but Ephesians 4, uh, Colossians 3, Romans 13, Galatians 5, all of these are places that we see a language that goes something like this. Take off the old and put on the new. Take off what's a lie and put on what is true about you. Put on the very promises of God. Put on who you are in Christ. Put on what is yours in Christ. Put on who you will finally be in Christ. Put it on and take off the other. You can't put on the promises of God over your junk. Like you've got to take it off and then put on what is true. And I think about it like how I lay out the clothes for my kids because the Lord knows if we don't, we ain't making it to time. We only got six tardies. We're at five for both of them right now. If we get the last one here in this last month, I'm going to be upset if I have to go to... They, they told me I'd have to go with them to their detention. That's crazy, okay? Like, I don't want to go to detention, so we're going to make it on time. But I have to lay out their clothes. We've got to put it on. The Lord has laid out for us in His Word what to put on. And we've got to take off the junk. We've got to take off the lies. We've got to take off the guilt. We've got to take off the racism. We've got to take off the hate. We've got to take off that which destroys, that which is, that steals, kills, and destroys. And we've got to put on that which brings life. Put on whose you are, who you are, and what is yours in Christ Jesus. We've got to get dressed. But thirdly, we've got to come eat. We can't be going off without eating. Okay, so this is just, a, this is just another way of talking about putting on clothes, but it might speak to somebody who don't like getting dressed, okay? You might like eating better than putting on clothes. Paul talks about that too, and it it happens here in this, uh, in the last verse of Romans 13. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus. So this is more about the clothes we put on. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You may have heard a translation that goes something like this. Don't feed the flesh to gratify its desires. And the picture here is like a breakfast table where the flesh is at the table. What we don't want to do in our life is feed our flesh. We don't want to feed it. We don't want to give it what will fatten it up. We want to starve it out. Starve the flesh. Don't feed the flesh. 
We need to put into our lives that which builds up, that which pushes us more into the image of Christ, not which pushes us away. Don't feed the flesh. Come and eat the right things. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Lastly, we got to wake up. We need to get dressed. we got to come eat. And we need to live loved. Live loved. My wife, Catherine, she, she is, and this is true, she is my favorite writer. I named my youngest son after two writers, C.S. Lewis and Tim Keller. Lewis Keller. Okay, but Catherine is my favorite writer. I just didn't want to name him Catherine. You know, that just didn't make sense. <laughs> the uh, night before the first day of school this year, Catherine was rocking my six-year-old Annie Ruth, and she was caring for her and praying for her and thinking about her going off to, to uh, Maxwell Elementary. We're on, the, we're on the other side of town. And as she was praying for her, she began to write. And so she, she wrote up a little sweet thing about how much she loved them. And, and, uh, and then she wrote on Instagram this, and I stole it, uh, for, for our time. She says, I'm praying for you, my babies. Go have fun at school and make new friends and learn new things. And live like you are loved because you are. Live like you were loved because you are. Church, to the extent that we can understand and we can bathe in and we can rest in the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus will be the freedom that we have to love others. It'll be the freedom that we have to extend love and grace and compassion to those in our family and to those in the world. And in light of all of this that James has been teaching us, in light of all of this junk uh, and this relationship, uh, these relational problems that we can find ourselves in, in light of sin, James preaches grace. And in light of that grace, he teaches us about repentance and about walking in line with the Lord. But we don't walk as people who are estranged. We walk as people who... God loves and he cares for and he provides for that he loves deeply. So church, as we come to the table, which is where we are in Britain, if y'all want to come up, as, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, this is a phenomenal time to consider all that we have talked about today as, as we take the the bread, and as we take the, the cup, we are experiencing what we've been talking about theologically. So we're, we're going to eat and we're going to drink. And as we do, it is a symbolic reminder to us of the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. That our sin was so bad and we were so far off that Jesus died in our place, that his body was broken, his blood was poured out. But also that we are so loved that his body was broken 
and his blood was poured out. As we take this, and this is for God's people, as God's people drink this cup, may we submit under God. May we submit to him, to the God of grace. And as we do that, man, be mindful of all the relationships in your life. Let's make right what is broken. Let's repent. Let's resist. Let's repent and let's replace. Let's begin to build into our life this idea that we must build new rhythms. Let's wake up. Let's get dressed. Let's come eat. And let's live loved because you are. I'm going to pray for us and then let's respond as we come to the Lord's table. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. Your word that has the power to bring to life what is dead. To make whole what is broken. To bring fruit even where there's hard ground. Father, may you do a beautiful work of grace here in our midst today as we submit to you and your goodness. Thank you for how you love us. Thank you for how you're for us. You're never against us. Thank you that there's no more condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. And praise God, there's, there can never be separation for us in Christ Jesus. Do such a work in this place. Thank you for your body here at Safe Haven today. Oh Lord, we bless you. We look to you. We humble ourselves before you. In the, night, in the mighty name of Jesus we pray.